I think we got a bad cable. Okay. I got a good man working on it, so just pray for, uh, we're in Acts chapter 6. Pray for Les that he, um, and today I think I brought my new King James, so if you put it up there, brother, we're going to read the first six verses. Yes, this is the new King James. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 to start us off. The familiar portion of scripture to you, um, and let's let's read read through it here. Now, in those days, when the number of disciples that that's not to be confused with apostles. That's disciples. That's the followers. When the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. We'll talk about that in a minute. They were complaining because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, specifically of food. When the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And saying, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. All right. So we're at a point here where we notice that the church was growing. The first verse says, hey, the church was beginning to grow. Many uh, were added to its number. It was in a, a growth period. And wouldn't you know that right away during a growth, how many know, by the way, that the enemy, we have an enemy. And let me ask you the question set you up. Is he in favor of or against healthy church growth? He's very against that. So as it starts to happen, uh, he springs into action. One of his favorite methods, and it's really diabolical, one of his favorite methods, one of his favorite methods of resisting the inevitable growth uh, when the Holy Spirit is recognized and honored and, and you know just good things start to all resonate and come together and the church begins to grow. One of his favorite methods of resisting or interfering with church growth is conflict. Conflict. How sweet it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, amen, when there's no conflict. And how nasty it gets when there's conflict. Well, there was conflict. Uh, in this early church. We just read about it. I don't know if you picked up on it, but there were widows, qualifying widows that needed some help, needed to be taken care of. And so uh, the deal was that they should probably, I'm filling in the blanks a little, but I'm sure it went something like this. 
yo, yo, everybody, all you widows, show up at 5 o'clock. We're going to have a good dinner. We're, you find your place around the table, and we'll make sure you're taken care of. So they would all come. Let's just say there were 300 of them. They would all come, and the, the 200 Jewish widows would sit over here. Jewish Christian widows would sit over here. And there probably weren't quite as many, because this wasn't happening so much later. At first, I should say. And the 100 Hellenists. Now, that's a word that might have you confused. What's a Hellenist widow? Hellenism is a fancy word for Greek-oriented, from Greece, from, in their case, the West. So they, were, they weren't born and grown, they hadn't grown up in the synagogue and in the temple, and they didn't know all the ways that the good Jewish people knew all the ways. So they were just Christians that became Christians because they believed in Jesus, and, and they weren't Jews from their birth. They were Western, they were like us, they were like Gentile, if you will, uh, widows. Let's pretend that they sat over here. Well, in comes uh, Les and Ray with a big trades of steak, and they took all care of all the Jewish widows. They got baked potato. I visited someone last night, and I, and I thought I was late enough to miss dinner, and they cooked me a big steak and a big potato and corn on the cob, and then I got some pear cob. I didn't tell you all this. I got some... <laughs> pear cobbler with ice cream on it, and it was a tough visit to put on these people. So, uh, uh, But that's how the Jewish widows were treated, with the steak and the baked potato and the corn on the cob and the pear cobbler and the ice cream. And probably hot dogs and beans over here. You see I'm making it up, but they weren't taking good care of these widows. And so finally, the families of these widows, I don't know how much the widows themselves, but finally the families of these widows are like, Hey, ripoff, this is not fair. And conflict arose. It reached, the conflict reached the, the hierarchy of the levels of the apostles themselves. You know, they're scrumbling down in the troops. What are we going to do? And their solution set was, well, gather some guys together to put in charge of this. They would later be titled, you got a title, you know, people like titles. Later they would be titled deacons. But for now, they just said seven men that would be able to serve. Because it's not appropriate that we, we're trying to study for the next lesson here that we're going to be feeding you. We feed you spiritually, and let's get some regular guys that are going to take care of feeding you physically. Take care of feeding your... And so uh, they said, make sure they're full of the Spirit. You know, there's, there were some guidelines there, but choose them, and if it seems right to us and to the Lord, we'll lay hands on them and bless them, and, and that'll uh, become their job. I want to just say something about conflict. It's not what today's lesson's about, but I don't want to leave the, the situation here. Now that I got you into it, I don't want you to leave it. The temptation to think about conflict is that I have an issue with Les, and Les has an issue with me, and Les and I, boy, we just disagree. We've got to hammer it out, and the next thing you know, we're not hammering it out well, and I'm talking to Dennis about it. And You see, that's how the devil wants me to manage the conflict is begin to, you know, all the bad conflict management. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 teaches us, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. One of the things I want to teach us while we're a young, small church, and I want us to know so that, it, you know, as, as the borders begin to go out a little bit, I don't have an issue with less, and less doesn't have an issue with me, 
the devil is making it seem like that. I don't have a wrestle. I'm not wrestling. By the way, Les and I that I know of don't have any. I'm picking on him because it's a clean operation uh, there with our relationship. So I can just make believe there without any hidden thing. But we, conflict is not against flesh and blood. It is the enemy absolutely putting his demonic stink on stuff. And we do well immediately to realize that this isn't really a conflict of men. This is a conflict of the enemy. And how much easier it is to solve the problem when we realize whose fingerprints it is on the problem. If I realize that, and, and by the way, you can take this message home. You don't have an issue with your kids or your cousin, or your sister-in-law, or you don't have an issue with a, a spouse. You've got an issue with the enemy who's poisoning the pot. And so when, when you're tempted to, to, to lash out and, 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 and to get angry and to give that other person a piece of your mind, don't do it. They're not whom you have an issue with. You have an issue with the enemy who's putting his stink in your pot. And, and Take it up with the Lord, because these things can only be solved, you know, with the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's abilities. So you, you lift these things up in prayer and don't solve them with your own self. Um, and so the kind of closing up this opening thought that I have, I just want to say that we talk about church fellowship. Fellowship and unity is an absolutely necessary ingredient for, for, for a healthy church and for a growing church. And it's so much more than the fun part. A lot of times you think of fellowship. The, the, what, what springs to mind when you say the word fellowship is, oh, that's the fun part of why we have church. We have fellowship. We have cake. We, we, we have potluck. We, 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 we go on a men's golfing trip. Or we have a ladies, what the ladies do that's fun. We have a ladies knitting club. I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. But, you know, we, that's the fellowship. Let me tell you something. Fellowship is so much more than just the fun part of, what, of, of, of church. It is an integral ingredient, the oneness, the, the, the Greek word is koinonia, the oneness, the undisturbed by the devilness of a church uh, body. For he wants to come in and cause division and strife. Because when you're busy fighting each other, you're not busy getting the job done that he's called you to do. Okay. The apostle's solution was in, in, in verse 3 to uh, find seven honorable men that could uh, supervise the situation. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, this was the first of uh, many church ministries to be created. And, the, and these ones were called deacons. The word there is diakonos, and it literally means someone who serves. A lot of people feel like they're elected a deacon and, you know, like they're like a prince or something. What you've, what you've been elected to is to be a servant. The word actually refers to in... in if, if you use that word in Jesus' time, but you weren't using it a religious use, it's what you call the person that waited your table, who brought you fresh water and blessed your dishes off. They were called the diaconos, and the church stole that word to, to, to give people a title uh, of people who helped and served and, and, uh, and, and worked in, in that way. So while it's a humble office, it's an honorable calling uh, nonetheless. Uh, and I want to suggest that every... Christian office is, at its core, a humble office. There is no office. You know, you think of a regal king up on his throne to be served with the people, you know, waving the big peacock feathers to keep them cool and someone bringing them a tray. There is no office like that that we're to fill in the, in the church. Every office is a humble office of, of servitude. 
Indeed, did Jesus not teach on that last night when he was betrayed? You know, he took off his clothes and he wrapped a towel around them and he knelt down and washed their feet, teaching them that if you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, you've, you've got to first learn to be a servant. There's something uh, interesting about the seven deacons that are chosen. Besides Stephen and Philip, uh, what's interesting to me is in the list in verse 5, you've probably never heard of any of them before. I didn't even know how to pronounce one of these guys' names because you hardly ever hear about You don't talk about them in Sunday school. It's just they're one of those little lists of names that nobody... And you know what's interesting? You never hear about them again. Stephen is probably uh, the most popular one in the group but he lived the shortest ministry for just a chapter later, he's killed. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Well, let's look at Stephen this morning. Here, here's what I find out, found out about him. Verse 5, he was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Uh, oh, boy, I've got to have a little parenthetical with you here. And I know this is potential to be a hot subject. And just relax and roll with it. It has to do with New Testament Greek manuscripts. There are several different families of manuscripts. There's the Byzantine family of manuscripts, which is a late family. By that, I mean they're from the 800s and 900s AD. And it is the family of manuscripts that the King James people use to translate that. Since the King James translation. Um, other manuscripts have been discovered, some much older than those Byzantine. The Nestle text, the Alexandrian text, there's different families of manuscripts. Okay, I don't want to complicate it, but the oldest manuscripts all have a, a word that's different in them than uh, the Byzantine text. And I don't want anybody to panic about that. I just want to, out of fairness, I want to are you up there? Good. You know what you can do for me? I don't know if you can do it easily, but you know what you can do for me? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look it. Okay, here's what we're going to talk about. And Stephen, full of faith and power. The word there for faith is pistis. Pistis. And power. Now that's the word pistis appears in the uh, Byzantine family of Greek manuscripts used by King James. The Byzantine family what was uh, a family of manuscripts from about eight or 900 A.D., okay? So old, those are called old. Uh, excuse me, young. They're called young because they're closest to us. Please flip this thing to, I don't care, uh, New American Standard or something. Can you do that easily or is that hard? Ah, now look it. And Stephen, full of, remember the other one said faith, pistis. This one is chari, chari, grace. The oldest manuscripts say chari. I don't want to make a big, this is not the hill I want to die on here uh, this morning, except I want to say that he was full of faith. We already know that because it mentions it in the previous verse. But this verse and the oldest manuscripts uh, all, all say that he was full of chari. He was full of grace. Grace and power. Dunamis is the word there. It's what Jesus said, uh, power will come on you after that which the Holy Spirit, power will come to you after that which the Holy Spirit, dunamis, it's the word where we get a word for dynamite. It, it, it's, it's, it's a word that describes the ability to, dunamis in terms of a person's life and how that plays out, is the word 
it's a word that describes the power that comes to someone when they have great influence. We say, oh, he's a powerful man. It doesn't mean that you know, he can lift a thousand pounds, but he can exert his influence on somebody else uh, and, and, and make things happen uh, that way, like the uh, influence of a powerful attorney. It includes moral strength, moral uh, power, and, it, and it, it also includes, by the way, the ability, and I ha I, I'm reticent to use the word ability, but the being used of to do miraculous power, to do miracles also. So all those things are in mind with that word uh, dunamis. Uh, Stephen, though, was full of grace and power. He was used of God in these ways. What else do we learn about Stephen here? Verse 10, if you can flip to verse 10 for me, and I don't care which version uh, that you, you get up there. The Spirit of God was so rich in Stephen uh, that the legal practitioners and debaters in time were no match for his wisdom. We're talking about Stephen and his attributes, his character this morning. His wisdom. I personally like what verse 15 teaches about Stephen. Look at verse 15. The hotter the antagonism got, the more ridiculous the lies were that were leveled against him, and the more uh, he shone like an angel. You know, I, I, hold this thought for one second, because I, I want you guys to process this on a personal level. If a, ba a small band of people, maybe from work, maybe from the neighborhood, maybe from the family, whatever, a band of people gathered together to assassinate your character, and they come at you, and they're wise guys, not wise in God's wisdom, but you know they're smart in how to argue, and they're, and they're, and they're wise guys. And they come at you with a specific plan to smear you, even to the point that they're willing to twist your words into making them actual lies. Well, you said thus and such. Well, you said something kind of like thus and such, but they just twisted it completely on you. Okay, imagine that's happening to you by a band of either family or colleagues or workers or whatever, and, and it's happening to you right now. You know, they're attacking your character and they're twisting what you said and they're lying about you. Confession time. I don't know about you, but that would get my blood pressure up. That would make me... Oh, I would love to be like Stephen. I'm getting ahead of myself. I would love to be like Stephen, but to be honest with you, there's a part of me that knows me that says, I know you just didn't, and I will bow up on them a little bit. It's natural to bow up on someone who's, atta who's attacking your character. Doesn't mean it's excusable. Doesn't mean it's good. It's just natural to bow up on someone. And as, <laughs> I know you just didn't. And then straighten them out. Set them down and straighten them out and give them a tongue lashing and tit for tat. But I like, I, I like what I see about Stephen. These guys did that very thing. They came up against him. They, they created lies about him. They said he said stuff he didn't say. They took little pieces of what he probably did say, and they took him out of context, and they knit him together to make a bald-faced lie, and they accused him of junk. And instead of him saying, I know you just didn't, and he, remember, was full of wisdom. We already read a few verses earlier that he was completely capable under the power and direction of God. He was completely capable of slicing and dicing them and making them look like idiots. He could have, he could have just lashed back and totally humiliated them. But I like, and, and he could have gotten red in the face. And see, this is where, if I'm telling on myself, 
if I'm in, at all in touch with who I am, and I'm just making a true confession, I mean, I would be red in the face. You'd see these little guys coming out. You'd see these little guys coming out. You'd see these coming out. And I would do my best to damage the people who were damaging me. I'm just confessing. I hope, I'm, I hope in the time of testing I would be a bigger man than that. But I'm afraid I might not be. I love Stephen. They're all doing this stuff to them, him. And what does it say about him? What's his response? His face shone like that of an angel. He just took it right on the chin. Not only did he take it on the chin and feel no need to strike back, but his countenance actually glowed. I don't know what it means to shone like the face of an angel, but it, it kind of conjures in my mind a mental image of just someone who rose above it, is totally cool with it, doesn't consider this a fight that he wants to make his own and just radiates the very presence of God and does, doesn't need uh, to fight back. That thing that would have made me or you furious, he just let it go and didn't deal with it. You need to re remember the storyline here. Stephen spends uh, chapter 7, and we're not going to read it all, uh, proving to his accusers that he's very intimate with the, with the history of Israel. Basically, he starts with Abraham and walks all the way through in chapter 7, just citing detail after detail, just to let them know that he attended Sunday school and paid attention when he was a kid. And he knows, he, he's not one of these guys that just fell off the, the watermelon truck. He knows everything uh, about, and probably then some, but he included Jesus, and he included the likes of them who had killed him, and he included uh, that they had always killed them. See, he wandered a little close to home for them. Remember, the prophets in the Old Testament, you can look at this back in Hebrews 11 too, it talks about it, and right here he talks about it. When these prophets came up, you pick your favorite prophet, pick Isaiah, pick Jeremiah, pick whichever one you want to pick. You know how they were received by the people that they came to minister to? Not well. The story goes that Isaiah was sawn in two. He hid for his life in a hollow log, and they plugged up both ends and sawed him in two like a bad magic act, um, you know, that didn't work. And different, you know, terrible, terrible demise of these various people that came to, you know, minister God's truth to God's people. And Stephen said, you killed all the prophets that, the, that God said. And, and you see why he was striking close to home? Because they can't deny it what their modus operandi was, a prophet would come and, and minister God's word to them. And, and in, rather than saying, amen, amen, you know, may it be, how do we change, you know, and, and, and what they would do is kill them. And then like 50 years later, when everything they said came true, they would say, where's that guy's writings? We need to sew it into the Bible here. We need to include, and so then they would canonize. They would include that person's writing and, a, a, after they had killed them. And Stephen knew this was their modus operandi. So Stephen said, just like you and your fathers hunted down and killed every prophet that God sent along the way, so you have hunted down and you have killed this one Jesus. He was trying to get into their heads and say, don't you see the pattern uh, that, that you're living in, the same pattern? And rather than them melting to the core and say, oh my goodness, have we done it? Have we done it again? Have our own hands shed innocent blood again? Rather than doing that, you see what, if, if, if you're reading there at the end, towards the end of chapter 7, 
they became infurious. They began to gnash their teeth. Their face turned red. Their, their blood pressure popped off the top of the thermometer. They were just so furious that he would have uh, spoken the truth uh, to and about them that they just wanted him dead. If you can throw up there, uh, Dave, uh, chapter 7, verses 55 and 56, I admire Stephen's calmness. Uh, chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. If I beat you, I beat you. I'm going to beat you. Ah. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. This is as they're ambushing them. As they were in Jerusalem, in the city. They're not allowed to kill someone in the city. They've got to get them outside the city gates. So as they're grabbing them and dragging them and furious and probably spitting on them, kicking them, yelling at them and doing that, Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Next verse and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. His mind was not on the moment of tribulation. His mind was on a taller order. His mind was on uh, something much bigger than the present uh, tense situation. Though they had heard enough, though they were hauling him out and beginning to stone him, which, by the way, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, stoning is that pray that you are never stoned to death. Terrible, terrible way to be executed. As they were brutally stoning him, he remained calm. And we get a true peek into his spirit down at verses 59 and 60. Can you jump there? Down at 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, this is Stephen calling upon God, saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. His last words were, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, uh, he fell asleep. That's code talk for dying. Obviously, Stephen was a Christian's Christian. I hope you can agree with me there. A Christian's Christian. He was a profound man of God. And the one nugget I want, to take, I want you to take home, I'm going to build a little suitcase this morning, and I'm going to put one thing in it, and I want to make sure you grab it by the handle, and I want to make sure you carry it out of here. The purpose of today's message. The one little nugget I want you to take from today's lesson is something I haven't mentioned, not directly, yet. That the early church was in conflict. That the early church was in crisis. And it needed leadership. And the apostles had hundreds, and I dare say thousands by now, of disciples. Some had recently given their hearts to the Lord, like yesterday or this morning. And some maybe had already been saved a month or possibly two. The apostles told these hundreds of disciples, choose seven supervisors, seven diakonos, deacons, seven leaders, seven servants. Among them was Stephen. This is what I want to put in your little box that you're going to take out today. Stephen, who yesterday was merely one of the many. Stephen, who yesterday didn't have a little thing on his desk that said Deacon Stephen. Stephen, who yesterday was Stephen, Rebecca's husband. 
Stephen, Joey, and Sammy's daddy. Stephen, who worked at the auto body shop. Eh, probably not the auto body shop. Stephen, who was my neighbor. Stephen, who loaned me money once and never badgered me to pay it back. He was just Stephen in the community of believers. This is the point I want you to take with you today. Stephen, who was just one of the guys. Oh, they noticed that he was a good guy. He had a good reputation. That's kind of what qualified him to effervesce to the top of the list of people that you know that all the disciples chose. But he didn't have a title. He didn't have uh, some big glamorous uh, responsibility. He didn't have a corner office with a view. He was just Stephen, one of the many uh, disciples, a husband, a daddy, a tradesman. And in and through every one of those little roles, the husband, the daddy, the tradesman, the neighbor, he had consistent Christian character. He was full, not empty, not wavering. He was full in his faith. He was full, not lackadaisical. He was full in his relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace, chari. That means he was polite, kind, and thoughtful. He wasn't ugly. He wasn't mean. He wasn't short-tempered. He was full of grace. You did him dirty, he was cool about it. He didn't freak out on you. The lady let his water glass sit empty in the restaurant for five minutes. He didn't bite her head off. He was sweet. He was full of chari. He was full of grace. And he had this reputation while he was a daddy, a tradesman, a husband, a brother, a friend, a, a neighbor. He already had this reputation, full of grace. He was known for preferring other people and their needs before his own, full of grace, forgiving and patient. He, he asserted great Christian power. He, he asserted a great Christian influence on his community. He was a man of God that probably didn't have a lot to say, but when he said it, people paid attention to it. So he was a man of God that had influence that when people had a problem, they sought him out. And they said, Stephen, struggling with my wife, Stephen. We got this situation, Stephen, and I don't know. I've tried this and I've tried that. What, what should I do? Stephen didn't have a little thing on his desk yet that said Deacon Stephen. It just, he was just Stephen, the man of God. And people sought him out. He was full of wisdom because he lived close to God. And, and so as he thought about, uh, you know, maybe his friend who, who confided in his needs, he was able to share the very mind of God with his friend. Stephen, without a plaque on his desk, without an office, without a title, just Stephen uh, the neighbor. When people maybe needed a miracle in their life, even Stephen, so close to God, they would seek Stephen out. You know, our son, he's had a fever now. Uh, I'm sure they didn't know it was over 103, but, you know, really hot for over three days, and we're scared, Stephen. And Stephen would go and visit, and he would lay his hands on that sick child. And his prayer of faith, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, availed much, and miracles were seen at Stephen's hand, though he didn't have an office, though he didn't have a title, though he didn't have a plaque on his door. Stephen, they, they, they sought him out. Most preciously, Stephen never melted under pressure. Indeed, 
he rose even in the very face of martyrdom. He was a man of God. So my point this morning, the little thing I want you to carry out with you in your little sermon briefcase today, the one thing I need you to get from all this is this. Stephen was those things yesterday before the crisis caused the apostles to create a new titled position in the kingdom of God called deacons, Stephen was already a deacon. Do you see? He was already, before he was challenged to be, to, to put a little plaque on his door that says Deacon Stephen, before that even happened, he was already the man of God that God was delighted in, I'm sure. What's that mean, Pastor Cliff? Why'd you bring it up? In your whole life, you may never be tagged with a, uh, with, with a plaque for your desk, with a corner office, with a view. You may never put a thing on your door that says Deacon Wes or, or Deacon Sam. Or you might. My point is this. You should already, you don't, you don't get ready when, when, when uh, the apostles asked the seven to please agree with them and lay hands on them. It wasn't time for the seven to get ready. They asked seven men who were already ready to begin immediately to do the work at hand. So my point is, excuse me, you don't get ready all of a sudden. Our goal is to live ready. Live like we're an apostle. Live like we're, you know, the guy with big hair on TV with a big ministry. Live like whatever. And it, those, those, those attributes are, are not just laid up for the people who have the corner office. I love Stephen, that he was that character before he was tapped to be a deacon. Long before a title would be attached to his name, Stephen was living the life already. Man, woman, or young person, everybody, everybody here today, our challenge, my challenge or my charge to us is the same. May I be, may you be, the mightiest person of God I can possibly be before I have any kind of title or position within a church or ministry. Learn these virtues of uh, Stephen, that he exemplified, and, and live them. Uh, whether folk are watching or not, my, well, it's a common definition of integrity, you know, doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. You be that person, whether people are, are watching you or not. You be full of grace. You be full of power. You be full of faith. You be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I mean, you, you, you be those things. You don't have to be the woman's leader, the WM leader of a church or of a district or of a section. Or you don't have to have any title at all. You can just be be as Stephen was. You can just be. For God needs today a mighty band of deacons yet. God needs people working and serving quietly in his kingdom, in his bride, in the church, titled or not, official position or not. He needs us on top of our game. And what a uh, as, I, as I studied for this lesson, and I close with this thought, as I studied for this lesson, I, I've had some favorite characters in the Bible, and I want to be honest with you, Stephen never made my list 
but I think he never made my list. I just never thought about him. But I want to tell you, he's in the top two or three right now. After I learned all this about Stephen, and, and he was like nothing. I say nothing. He was just the neighbor. I'm repeating myself, so I'll be short. Just the neighbor, just the friend, the sought-out friend, the sought-out neighbor, the sought-out work colleague, to be sure. But he was just that guy. He rose to fill a position, and immediately the enemy came against him. It cost him his life. I predict he died. We're not given a hardcore timeline here. But I predict from, from the moment they gave him his little deacon badge until when they were stoning him, probably less than a week by the, by the sounds of it in this text. The enemy hated what he stood for. Now, man, I don't want to open a Pandora's box here, and I'm not going to go on and on about this, but you know, I don't understand why the Lord let it happen. See, if I was God, all I'll say is this. If I was God, there'd be a whole lot of thumping going and people wouldn't be stoning my favorite Stephen. They would be walking out of the city, and one at a time, I, I hit a fly off my passenger seat just this week, I sneaked up behind him, and I gave him a good one, and I caught him, and he didn't pester me anymore. And I would be, and I would be thumping those half a dozen or ten people hauling him out of the city. I mean, they would just die a mysterious, terrible death right there in the path, and and then if they kept walking, that's something. That's how I'd operate, and that's why I'm, that's one of the many, 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 many reasons I'm not God. Uh, so why God let it be, I don't know. But my point is that Stephen didn't get elevated so that he could live this big, fancy position for many years. He got elevated, and immediately the enemy put his crosshairs on him and determined to take him out. The how that benefits us is we get to peek into the very core of Stephen's soul. He didn't freak out and throw a tantrum. He blessed them as they were cursing him. He, he, he was praying for their forgiveness as they were throwing stones at him. He was praying for forgiveness for them. We got to see his character was not a sunshine day character. It was an all the time deep in his soul character. May we... May we strive to be that kind of man. May we strive to be that kind of woman. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, what an awesome thing to be called in your kingdom. Just to be, uh, just to be a, just to live in your kingdom and to do little duties and help us. I pray that whatever level of official service or title or whatever, however that goes. Let us never be distracted from the fact that you desire for each of us to live at the top of our game. I thank you for the example of Stephen, that he was already living all these things long before he was tapped and recognized. I pray, God, that each of us, whether we're tapped and recognized or, or just totally not, I pray that we would be serious about having the character traits that Stephen exemplified growing in our own lives. Help us, I pray, O oh God. Have us, Holy Spirit. We sang this morning, I surrender all. May it truly be our prayer that there are no things held back, that we truly do surrender all without any reservation. Take us, use us, have us. Grow us, change us, make us like your Son. We pray these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus' precious name. Amen.